0: This topic today, there's a thousand other things that I could talk about with this topic, and I had to really trim it down, and I have a lot of reasons for the trimming it down. I want to keep it very direct, very on topic to the text of uh, Luke. We're going through Luke. For those of you that are visiting today, we're going through Luke. This is actually, I, I checked the, yesterday, this is the 75th sermon out of Luke, and we're only in chapter 12. So, we're going to be here until Jesus comes back, I think. Um, So, that's okay. We'll get right to the end, and he's going to ascend, and then we'll go to heaven, and it'll be awesome. Um, The topic is anxiety. I didn't choose the topic. The topic is the one that came up next in Luke. So, as I'm going through Luke, this is the next one, and this is why I preach the way I do, because... I don't have to decide, hey, this is what I want to talk about. We just work our way through Scripture, and it's amazing the topics that you'll end up dealing with just by going through the text and going through Jesus' teaching. This topic I have learned a lot about vicariously through my wife. Um, she's okay with me mentioning this. My wife has struggled with worry and anxiety in her life to a, a big degree. Um, And so, a lot of what I've learned about anxiety, I've learned through her and through me attempting to be a godly husband, helping her and shepherding her and loving her. I want to be clear as we dig into this that when Jesus, he's going to say, and if you know the text, he's going to say, Don't be anxious. And if you've dealt with anxiety in any way, shape, or form and somebody just comes up to you and tells you don't do it, does that work? No. So we need to clarify what Jesus means by this. And so I will include in here that if I were to have preached on this when I first became a Christian and I was 23 years old, I would have thought very differently about this than I am right now. The anxiety... That Jesus is telling us not to do is not the feeling of being anxious Allow me for a moment to give you an illustration From Because I'm a man a man's perspective Of something specific I have Not as much as I used to But I have coursing through my veins A chemical Some might call it imbalanced in us men That chemical is testosterone. That chemical in my veins works in me certain side effects. Making me a scumbag, right? No. There's a reality now, and I'm going to quote a friend of mine, Jeremy Lozell, from way back in the day when we first were just seeking after God. We grew up in church, but we. We weren't seeking after God then, but then when we were, we were working at McLean, and so we were encouraging each other, and one of the things that we used to say to each other is neither one of us were married. We were both young men. Our veins were full of the stuff. It was in balance. It was a chemical imbalance. We were off, and we would say to each other, you look once, it's an accident. You look twice, it's a sin. Now, I'm not telling you that's theologically perfect. There's some problems there, but as I've gotten older, I'm going to be honest with you. There, there's there's an important understanding. I used to think the sin was in the desire, and I found that when I prayed for God to remove the desire, that never happened. What God did was give me truth. And so what I did then, as a, a young man, and I started understanding more and more as I got older that. What what God was giving me wasn't always going to be a change of feeling. Sometimes it was simply a change of truth and understanding. So if the temptation came and the feeling was there and I was like overwhelmed by it, that did not mean I had to give in to that. The hard part about it is that when you as a Christian choose to do the right thing, does the feeling automatically go away? No. No. If you're thinking, I must be doing something wrong because I still feel X, Y, or Z, no. You are in flesh and blood, sinful, sin-scarred, sin-marred bodies. You ought to instead expect your feelings to go against what God has called you to do. Now. That's the first thing I want to talk about is that when Jesus says in this text, we're going to have it, he's going to say, don't be anxious. He's not saying, don't have that feeling of anxiety. You may be called to, in the middle of those feelings of anxiety, called to not dwell in that. The same way a guy, in his feelings of lust, might be called to not look. Right? Okay. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing, well, I may save that one. <coughs> Let's get into the text, because I could, I could go off on this for a, a long time. There, there's so much that I, in fact, I think this probably deserves an entire time of teaching. We live in a very anxiety-ridden world. Um, in fact, I think, Paul, one of you, the, the don't you have one that you're going to be doing? Paul, the, the we got two pastors here. For those of you don't know, we got me and then we got the smart pastor. And um, uh, so, <laughs> Paul, Paul has. We're done with our catechism in Sunday school, and he's gonna be. He's got some teaching topics he's gonna be doing at some point. What well, I saw on his list of things that he's got, he's gonna be teaching on this. And um, I'm not trying to build him up necessarily right now, but I am saying that the Bible has a lot to offer about dealing with this. And I'm gonna get the very, very brief essence of it. Um, Paul, I think when you dig into that one, I don't know if you're, when you're going to do it, but we'll, we'll let you know. Um, if you struggle with anxiety, struggle with these things. Paul's an excellent counselor. My wife is an amazing counselor. My wife counsels on that from that perspective of having dealt with it as well. Um, and so if you struggle with these things, there's much, much hope in the scripture. okay? What I'd like to give you today in this text, and I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can through these things. When you're in those moments of anxiety, if, and I've, uh, this is, again, something I've learned through my wife, if I tried to break into a long, elaborate theological explanation of why she ought not to worry, I would lose her immediately. And if you've ever been in anxiety and you've ever struggled with being anxious or being worried about something, you have recognized that when somebody starts talking, if they say more than 10 words, they might lose you, right? You don't want a big, long explanation. And so I've broken this down, and I did this purposely. There's every single point that I have today could have its own ta- time of talking about it. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to treat this today like a series of... Have you ever gone to the door and you got to go to the bathroom and you go up to the door and you're like, you got a key ring and you you can't remember which key it is. And you're like, this one, no, no, it's this one, no, it's this one, no. Okay, so sometimes when you're in the middle of the worry and the anxiety, I want to suggest to you that each and every one of these verses could be a different little key. And I would even recommend to you possibly getting a bunch of 3 by 5 cards and putting each one on a card, and if you struggle with this... And you go, oh, I'm getting worried. Pull it out and look at the first one. If that didn't help, go to the next one. If that didn't help, go to the next one. And just work your way through these things because the goal here as a Christian, and I wish I had more time to elaborate on this, but the goal here as a Christian is to take the truth of what Jesus teaches and in those moments where the temptation comes and the feeling is overwhelming and the body is telling you, be worried. You are not to stop feeling. You're, start, you're to start thinking about what God says okay and so these each and every one of these things is something that you can go okay let's take a look at this first one let's okay this one's an exhortation this is where god commands something here's an illustration this one's a, a bit of reasoning but the real short reasonings and here's this okay so let's start with the first one so if you would with me we're going to look at Luke chapter 12 i'm going to I'll have the scriptures up here you have your notes notice each one of those points is another verse each one of those is a little key that you could try and say Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Here's something. The first one is this, and you can fill in the blank. Uh, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious as well about the length of the list, okay? I promise I'm going to go fast. Some of you just go, I just got worried when I saw how long that list was. Um, don't be, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about it. Um, don't be anxious, this is the exhortation. An exhortation is defined as to be strong, to strongly encourage or to urge someone to do something. And so Jesus is giving this as an imperative, as a command. The, the, the Greek grammar is a command. I also want to mention that this in this verse, first verse, I'll go ahead and put it up there, uh, it says, he said to his disciples. I may have mentioned last week that, that last week's was to his disciples, but he was actually still talking to the masses. Now he's turned to just his disciples, and it starts with a therefore, which means he said this to the, the, the masses Don't put your security in your stuff. That's the brief version. Listen to last week's message. You get the full version. And so he turns to the disciples and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And so here we have this exhortation. It's written as a command. Don't be anxious about your life. And then he gives, not not to limit it to these two things, but to basically say, let's go to the most... Basic of all things, because if you can go to the smallest thing that you could worry about, it covers everything else as well. Okay, So don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or your body, what you're going to put on. So food, clothing, the, the, the basest of all base things you could get. If he goes down that low, he's covering everything else as well. So all the things you go, well, I'm not worried about those things. You go, well, I'm worried about big things, Matt. Well, that, that if he's going to hit the little things, the big things are covered. Okay? You might wonder about the connection. Well, I can't help but recognize an immediate connection to anxiety to say this to the disciples because I ended last week with one of the things I said is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to have some room in your economy because Jesus does this sometimes with his followers to say, sell it all. And if you are sitting there going, that don't worry me at all. Baloney, first of all, I think I'm going to call on you. Secondly... Uh, fine, you're better than me. Uh, I I think when I think of the idea of Jesus maybe asking me to sell everything and give it all away, it makes me a little nervous. I get that little trickle of sweat right here, right, right down that like. Could he do that? What if he did? Maybe if I preach on this, he might actually tell me to do that. I shouldn't preach on it because then if I do, he wouldn't. And you start reasoning with God. So maybe I'll pretend like I didn't see this part and I'll just go on or let me find it. No, I preached it last week and I walked away thinking, what if God did call me to do that? Could I do it? Could I just go give it all up? I think there's a connection between that fighting against greed from last week to not being anxious this week leon morris quoting a former commentator put it this way he says greed can never get enough worries afraid it may not have enough and so there's a connection between these two ideas and i think that's why it flows into this and i think for even for his disciples and when i think about our stuff i don't even think about just having enough stuff some of you are like that's not it for me. Some of you, it's not about having enough stuff. It's you want the stuff you have to be doing what it's supposed to do. And so for my mother-in-law, I popped this up because I know this is one of her favorite illustrations. She loves when her ducks are in a row. (laughs) But if you know anything about ducks, they do not like to stay in a row, do they? And when they get out of their row, what happens? Anxiety. Worry. I've got the stuff but then some of these things that I've got aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And it makes me nervous about what could happen. What about this and what about this and what about this and we begin to get worried and so our first thought here is from Jesus. Remind yourself when you start to worry that Jesus actually taught at one point don't he said it as a command don't be anxious. Uh, I told Charity this morning, we were talking about this. The word that's translated anxiety or worry here, the, it comes from a Greek word that actually means to divide. Because that's, and that's why it ended up coming to mean an, being anxious or worried. Because what happens when you're, you become anxious? You get split up. You're like, I'm here and I'm here. Like, I'm living now, but I'm also thinking about the future. You're, you're like a divided person. You're, 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 your mind is split, so to speak. So don't worry, and I know that when you flip that little card over the first time, you're worried, and you say, "I'm going to battle this with a Jesus command: Don't worry." You're gonna you're gonna feel a little bit like this seems tr- like well, that sounds so easy, and it could sound a little bit trivial, like, "Oh, just don't worry, don't worry." And then, here's a little song I I'm wrote. this. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. <laughs> Be happy. Okay, okay. Enough of that. But it could end up sounding a little bit like that, couldn't it, from somebody? So you're worried, and somebody comes along and says, Jesus says, don't worry. So don't, wor- don't worry. And it, the person that's doing that, it feels like you're, they're coming up to you singing this song. And when you're in the middle of worry and anxiety and somebody comes up to you and just goes, don't worry, you want to choke him. You should be worried, I'm not smacking you right now. What's wrong with you? Fortunately, Jesus does not stop there and I'm not going to stop there either. Jesus then moves next into a line of reasoning. I love it when he reasons. And so this is the first of four reasonings he does. And this first of the four is that life is more. Whatever it is you're worried about, life is not wrapped up in whatever those things are. Life is not wrapped up in those things. Life is more. Let's listen to Jesus' words. Again, he goes with the basest of things we could worry about. Verse 23 Life is more than food, the body is more than clothing. Life is more than these things. This is stated proverbially, proverbially like I can't even say that word. It's a proverb by Jesus. Daryl Bach on this says the point seems to be that since there is more to life than food and clothing, to be overly concerned with them is to miss life's important concern, which is what a relationship with God. This that's. That's where it's at. And so, in those moments, you're worried about what about if, I, if I, this happens, like this is a good opportunity to so life is more. What's the, what's, and maybe you may need to write underneath it, what is it about? What is my life about? It's about my relationship with the Father. And, and you start to, to, to comprehend, just think back to those, those saints of old who would say, You can take it all, but if I have you, you can. Take it all away, and I know that someone in anxiety, even to hear someone reference a saint like that, can cause even more anxiety. Lord, you can take it all, but what if he did? This reasoning from Jesus is meant to help to remind you that this isn't life. We talked this morning, and if you missed Sunday school this morning, it was such a good Sunday school. We're talking about what's after that. You know, there's something after this. I'm not talking about lunch. I'm not talking about La later. There's something after this, isn't there? There's a brand new... In fact, when we read Peter, I love that one, because Peter says, everything's going to be dissolved. Go out and look at the night sky. Gone. It'll be gone. The planet you're standing on, gone. Everything, your body, gone. And there's going to be a new body given to those who have followed after Christ, and a new earth... A new sky above. Everything will be made new. That's life. Not this. And so when Jesus is talking about these things, he's he's starting to point us beyond, right? Now, sometimes in the moment, if you're worried about things, sometimes you can't think that far down the road. It's good to just remind yourself, like Jesus says, life is more than just whatever it is I'm concerned. Life is more than just this thing. Sometimes it's good to recognize. Sometimes there's things that you worry about could happen that you think to yourself, if that happens, I'll die. And sometimes you have to look at those things and say, well, number one, maybe not really. People have gone through some horrendous things and lived. But even if it takes your life, this isn't the final life, there's a new life waiting. Paul tells us or tells Timothy godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world if we have food and clothing with these we will be content just food and clothes not even food and a house food and clothes if i got those i'm content and Paul says godliness, that relationship with God with a complete satisfaction. And I, I, I love this idea of godliness, a dissatisfaction with how close I am to God. I want to get closer and closer to God, but a complete satisfaction with everything he's given me is great gain. I love that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. To, to be constantly, Lord, I want more of you, but to be completely satisfied with whatever He physically he gives you is great gain we bond together those things what a satisfaction we can have what a great game we can have but jesus is telling us not to even worry about the food and the clothes and so he turns to an illustration he says think about the birds think about the birds specifically says consider the ravens I think I have Matthew's version of this as well. Matthew's version of this, when Jesus teaches this at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, consider the birds. Luke says, consider the ravens or crows. Boy, if you're from Danville, you're familiar with those things, aren't you? Crows were considered then, and I think probably now, unclean. And so when Jesus says, consider the ravens, he's talking about these unclean birds that are pointless to us. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse or a barn. Yet God feeds them. And then the thought of how much more value are you than birds? You are, is the point. You are. Don't miss Jesus' point. God feeds the crows. And you can look at those crows eating the garbage on the side of the road and say, they're satisfied. And if God cares for them in their pitiful existence, God cares so much more for me. So whatever it is you're going through in those middle, that middle of anxiety, maybe take a moment, look out at the birds, say, God, God's taking care of them. If God's going to satisfy them, he can satisfy and take care of me. Again, I think we're getting close to the right view. I think that this might be in those moments enough, but I think that if we ended right here, it could end up feeling a little bit, and I'm sorry, I have to do it one more time. I got one more song. One more for you. Rise up this morning. Simone knew this was coming. The I to tell her this all the time. Oh, just look at the birds. By my sweet songs. Oh, okay. I have to play I'm a little bit more. One more second. Wait, ready for the chorus? If you know it, best sing best it. You. you Christians should know this. Singing, worry okay. Um. I need to mention there that I cut that off because the very next scene, and uh, most churches I wouldn't be able to bring this up, uh, it would be taboo, but I feel like I can bring this up here because of, well, I know you guys. Um, The very next scene, that's the original Bob Marley um, official video for that and in the very next scene, that pig that's walking along, there's a wolf that's trying to get him, and you saw him in the picnic basket. And the, the, the whole thing, as he goes along, Bob Marley, or the pig, in the very next scene, he's sitting in a tree smoking some marijuana. So Bob Marley's Don't Worry had a certain version of help. Now, here's the thing. That is a desire to eliminate the feeling of the anxiety. But it does not have a lasting and it doesn't have a godly effect. And people turn to those things. In fact, they turn to many sorts of chemicals, whether it's that or it's alcohol or you name it, to get away from many times the anxiety. But God has a way for you to battle this that is not... Numbing, but enlivening. Life is more. And you, when you consider the birds, it's not a don't worry. Ah, look at the bird. I could be sitting on the side of the road like that crow. That is not the point. God cares for them, He cares for you. And you ought to recognize that and and start thinking about that. And and in the middle of that anxiety, instead of numbing that feeling. My my wife mentioned to me today, there's that song that says, uh, it's amazing grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Don't miss the first part of that statement. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Maybe the, the very reason why God is allowing you to deal with that anxiety is he wants you to think about your life and that it's more than all these things and that there's something else. And it's grace, it's God's grace that is allowing you to be full of anxiety because he wants you to get your attention off of this and onto him. So don't, don't try to get rid of it. Don't try to numb it. This may sound crazy, but embrace it. Embrace it. God, I'll feel this way as long as you need me to feel. Let me feel this way as long as I need to feel so I can learn to depend on you. So we open up our little toolbox and our next key. Let's think about the birds, but Jesus doesn't stop there. His next reasoning I love. Does worry work? Does it work? Jesus makes a comment. It has been helpful, I think, to many that have been trapped by this, by asking themselves this question, and maybe hearing it this time, not just from someone else, but from Jesus himself. Jesus asks the question, which of you, go ahead, which of you, by being anxious, not having the feeling, that's not what he's talking about, but by dwelling in that, letting that anxiety run the show, Right? Instead of the truth running the show, letting the feeling run the show. Have any of you, by letting the feeling of anxiety run the show, and just dwelling in your anxiety, which one of you can add a single hour to your span of life? It's repeated in the Sermon on the Mount. Which one of you, by worrying, has made your life even a second longer because of that worry? Well, what's the, it's a rhetorical question, so what's the answer? Nobody. Nobody. I would propose that, in fact, the opposite is true. There's an increased mortality rate with those given to anxiety. I would say, suggest that not only that you can you not add to your life by worry, in fact, you decrease your lifespan through worry. This study has shown it. It doesn't do good things to your body in dwelling in those things. And I know that you can't just go, "I just can't turn that off. You're right. But embrace what God has allowed you to feel, to turn allow that to take your time, to turn your heart to him. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? I'm, I'm worried about all these things. Let, let this be a prompt for me to think about eternal things and to think about you. This worry that I'm doing, this worry that I'm giving into, as I give into it. It is not accomplishing anything. And so he moves to his next point of reasoning in the very next verse. Since worry doesn't work, right? Since it doesn't work, what's the obvious thing to do? Don't do it. If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, just add an hour. Can you worry and just add one hour? Since you can't do that, Jesus says... Why are you anxious about the rest? Again, not the feeling, but what you do with that feeling. So you're tempted to be anxious. You're tempted to be worried. There's things happening in your life. What about this? Maybe, maybe all it was was sitting down and watching the news for an hour. That can make you worried, can't it? You know what else makes me worried? Talking to Kids. Right? Mr. Greenhall's laughing. Right, Mr. 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 Wilson? He works at a high school. T- right? I know. You, you talk to some kids, and you go, oh, my. This is our future. And it can make you worried. When they can't add 2 plus 2, and they need to grab a calculator to do that, you go, oh, my. It's going to be a rough year. Yes. So... So true, so true. You know, there's a thousand things that can can spark that anxiety. Now, I would recommend maybe if you know that that does that, stop watching the news. Well, I can't stop talking to kids, but uh, there's things that you may have. I'm just going to avoid that because I know it, it works me in that direction anyway. But Jesus says, in the end, when it happens, when you're faced with it, here's this next one and this flip that next card over and go, since it doesn't work, why do it? Why, why am I doing this? Why am I focusing on this? For my wife, I know that one of the things that helped her immensely, the way this played out in a practical way, is she would be at home, and this is when our kids were little, and she'd be at home and the anxiety was there, but what she would do is make them supper. What, what, you know what she's doing in that moment? She's saying, my anxiety says, go lay down in bed and dwell on this. But I know the right thing for me to do in this moment, my kids are hungry. I should go make supper. And I always appreciated that. Right? (laughs) I wanted to reward her um, efforts of making supper by enjoying it as much as possible. Um, but, But what was happening in those moments... What, and this is what it looks like on a, in a practical basis is that sometimes what it looks like, it looks as simple as doing those things, caring for the people around you. What could I do right now that's caring for somebody else than myself? It, it, the, this effort put into the worry is, isn't accomplished. So I could put, put the next five hours into this worry, and at the end of the five hours, you will, nothing will be better, right? Right? And those of you that have given over to worry, it never, you never get, in fact, to the end, at the end of it, you're, you're way worse, aren't you? You're a wreck when you give into it. And, and it it might seem simplistic, but what you're doing in those moments, when you say, okay, I'm not gonna give into this, you can't just say, okay, stop thinking about it. Does that work? No. So so when, when Jesus calls us to do these things, what are you gonna do? You're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Okay, so I'm not going to, this doesn't work, it doesn't do anything, so what work can I do? What can I accomplish? Worry accomplishes zero, what can I accomplish? And so you come up, you go, okay, start, open, just open your eyes. I guarantee that there's not a single person in your arena of life that if you just wanted to do something nice to them, they'd go, no, stop it. There's all kinds of things you could do. If you go, I can't think of anything, call me. I'll tell you. Go buy me some donuts. No, no, that's not what I was saying. But there's, there's, there's things that people need in our lives and, and, and desire, need help with, or what, what, what can I do? What can I accomplish today? Worry accomplishes zero, so why do it, Jesus says. There's things you could be, I think, is the flip side to that coin. Instead of just sitting there Soaking in the worry. Get up off your duffs and do something. Jesus moves to another illustration, verse 27. This time, instead of birds, he looks to nature again and he points out lilies. Consider the lilies, how they grow in a field of lilies for you. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They, they don't toil or spin. They're not doing anything. You know, I tell you, Solomon, the, the greatest, the most magnificent of kings, I think, that has walked this earth in all of his magnificent glory was not arrayed like a simple lily, is what Jesus says. Consider the lilies, how they grow. Lilies don't worry about a thing, and yet they are arrayed in glory. More than the most fabulous of kings that has lived, he does not even compare to them. And so Jesus tells us again, look at nature. I think looking at nature can be an amazing way to steer your heart and mind off of the things that you're worried about by just looking out. So Jesus, both examples so far have been things in nature. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. This is a creation he has made, and it goes on and continues on and it continues on. And the more you learn about it, the more magnificent it is. Why does a lily do that? So let's consider the lilies grow. I've got some lilies here. They're growing. I know you can't see it. I just think about it. Let's think about them growing. Can you think about them growing? You can't see it, can you? I should speed this up. I've got a, I'm going to read something to you. I'm going to click, and it's going to show a fast-forward version, a time-lapse of some lilies growing for you to consider how they grow. Now, before I do that, I want to mention that every little aspect of how that lily goes is written in a code that God wrote and put in every single one of the cells of that plant. That lily grows because of an immense amount of knowledge. You couldn't write code to make something do that. Not even Paul could write that code. He can write some code, too, I tell you. I think. I don't know. I don't know what you do. Nobody knows what you do. <laughs> it's true. It's something with computers, I don't know. Uh, there's code in these plants, and it, it does this thing. Now, I want to recommend to you, and I'm going to read a quote to you while you're watching this. I thought the quote was C.S. Lewis, but it's actually G.K. Chesterton. He talks about this exact thing, to think that why, why even does that code work? That's always been my question in my head. Sure, there's a code written in the cell in the DNA. Why does that do something? I mean, if I just wrote some code, it could be the most magnificent code ever, and I wrote it all out and I laid it down on the ground, it wouldn't do anything. So how does that code that's written into these cells start doing stuff? Consider the lilies, how they grow, and listen to G.K. Chesterton talk about the marvel of it Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun and every evening do it again to the moon and I can add every flower that blooms do it again may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies or lilies alike it may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. Consider the lilies. Now, with me for a moment. When you were thinking about that lily and thinking about the magnificence of what was actually happening in that, there's an amazing thing that happens. It's not perfect, but you See, we don't want those feelings. Some of you in those moments, even the most anxious among you, in those moments as you begin doing these things that Jesus calls you to do, you will find measures of relief. Maybe not all the way gone, but measures of relief. In fact, I would guarantee that there's not a one of you that in this moment, even if it was just for a second, when maybe it was the moment when that flower went poof, that you went. In that one brief moment, he freed you from those anxieties as you were dwelling on him. That's what's here. Flip through those cards. You may have to do that a thousand times over. You may have to get on YouTube and watch a lily bloom 500 times in a row. I wouldn't recommend staying too long and doing that because you're not helping anybody at that moment. You might be helping yourself a little bit, but I think there's, there's great benefit in what I talked about a minute ago. Maybe take a minute, think about the lilies, and then get, go help your friend. Right. Next illustration he gives is grass. This one flows right from that one, so I can go through this one quickly. Not just the lilies, but the grass of the field as well. Jesus says, verse 28, But if God so closed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. I mean, just that grass lasts for a moment. You yourself last for just a moment. But if he cares for the grass of the field and clothes it and writes into it what it ought to do, to do what it ought to do, to, to do all those things as he's provided even for us in those things, the grass is growing, the cows are eating it, the deer are eating it, and we're shooting the bucks and having freezers full of meat. God did all that. And if God can do those things, he provides. He provides again and again. And those of you that have lived long enough, you've seen it firsthand. Not just, not just some thought of provision. You've seen God give you everything you need. And I, I've met so many people at the end of their days that have followed Christ their whole life have looked at me and said, God has given me everything I ever needed. Sometimes Some of those people, we look at them and we go, so much loss, I though. I know that you faced. In my head, I'm thinking, so much loss. But yet, they've seen past this. And life is more. And they go, God has given me all I need for life. So Jesus, at the end of verse 28, says more to verse 28. There's a rebuke at the end. And so you need these rebukes every once in a while. So that next card flipped over. If you're having trouble, he points out what the real issue is. Faith. Now, it's not a lack of the faith that might cause the feelings of anxiety. The lack of faith is in dwelling in that anxiety instead of turning, using that as a prompt to turn your heart and your mind to Christ and what he does. It's ultimately, when you don't deal with the the challenges, the temptations that life presents, when you don't deal with those things, God's way, ultimately, it's ultimately needs a rebuke you've got itty bitty baby faith that's the problem so there's a rebuke feel free to dwell on that one as long as you need to maybe my problem is i'm not trusting believing in god and his word I mean, he says all these things he's going to do, but I don't know if I believe it. That's what it is, isn't it? He says that life is more than these things, but I don't know if I believe it. I think if I lost this thing if, or if this thing was taken away from me, it would destroy me. And Jesus says, no, there's only one thing you need in this life, and it is me. That's the one needful thing. And if I have you, I have all So he turns again to his exhortation because you need to be reminded again, don't be anxious. He adds in there, I do not seek. Oh, I'm off on my... Somebody should have said something to me. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Verse 29, and do not seek. He throws in there, seeking. Making even the effort in that direction. I think in a primary sense. Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. So there's a don't be anxious, but it's in connection with this. Don't make that your driving force. Just to make sure that you have everything that you need. Don't let that be the main driving force of your life. And maybe the reason why you're struggling with this anxiety is because it's you're, you're so concerned with making sure I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and all my little ducklings are in a row, and I got everything worked there, and everything. It's good. It's good. And, I'm, and then this one gets out of the Everything I got, I put everything I got in and i to to get this duck back in a row this duck is out again oh you stupid duck and then you're making all this effort and you're trying to get this and you've put all this effort and you're just seeking and working towards those things jesus says next he goes back to reasoning with you your father it's not as if god doesn't know It, when you're on the side of the road and you have a flat tire and you're frustrated and you're like, man, it's not like God's like up there playing Nintendo and he's like, oh, I felt that way. Have you ever felt that way when something goes bad? You're like, what was God doing? I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure when I started praying, there's times I thought when I started praying, I'm like, Lord, I really need some help here. I, in my mind, I picture God going, oh, oh, shoot. I didn't know that you were stuck on the side of the road, Matt. I'm, I'm so sorry. I was paying attention to all the important people. I just I wasn't watching. That's not true, though, is it? Is God limited? He, can he, does he a, is he like Matt that has an attention span that can't focus? I forget things all the time. Is God me? No. Is God like us? No. Does God know? So the moment did He know? This thing that you're worried about, did he know about it before the foundations of the world that all those hundreds and thousands of years later, there'd be you and you'd be worried about something? Didn't he know it even then? Verse 30, all the nations of the world, the the whole world is efforting themselves and making sure we got all we need. And Jesus is saying, my disciples... Ought not to be that way. Your father, you have a father that knows. He's not like an earthly father. He's the great heavenly father that all fathers ought to model their lives after. He is Father God. And he always knows your needs. And so in the middle of that worry, maybe you'll get to this one, maybe this will be the one that unlocks that door a little bit and brings a measure of relief. God, you already know. Maybe just dwell on that one for a little while. That God, in all of his omnipotent, omniscient being, is very much aware of your need. You, when you pray to him, you're not informing him of anything. The one that needs information in those moments when you pray is not him. Who is it? Who needs information? Who's lacking in knowledge in that moment? When you go to pray to God and you're informing him of all your needs, is it him that needs the information? Who who is it? You. There's things that he knows that you don't know. And so when you pray, aspects of that ought to be, Lord, I already know that you know that I need this. There must be some, the fact that you haven't given this to me yet, there must be some aspect of this that is part of your good plan for me. I, What is it? I don't have this next meal yet. I don't have this next thing yet. Or I feel like there's this hovering need. Lord, he's not unaware. Lord, help me to, to understand it. If nothing else, because I'm a... Person of little faith, help me to at least trust in you that you're going to give me what I do need. And if I don't get it, it must mean I don't need it. Verse 31. Exhortation again, strong urging seek God's kingdom so we turn off okay we're not going to seek after these things but there is something we ought to seek we ought to be driving for we ought to be thinking about i don't know if i have the next verse up here no i don't matthew uh, chapter 6 talks about these things as well matthew 6:31 to 33 says therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear what what are we going to do right what are we going to do for the gentiles Seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Maybe you may have to copy that passage description, Scripture put it down on a card between this one and the next one. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Everything that you need will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And that's exactly what God does. Jesus offers some assurance next, verse 32. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You may only be seeing this kingdom from afar, but it's also started now. God's kingdom has started now. Christ has established his kingdom And he reigns from on high. And he's slowly but surely putting all things under his feet. The last thing he's going to defeat is death. And he'll do that one day. So rejoice that your father in his good pleasure gives you the kingdom. And then with all of that thought process, we're going to take it one step further. To a disciple's call. The thing we left off with last week. I'm going to say it again. God may have for you, and I'm going to recommend this. Last week I threw in there, I said, in, 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 in your economy there ought to be room for this. I would say this week that every single one of us ought to have some version or level of this going on sacrificial giving of what we have ought to be a part of every single one of us as his disciples. So to his disciples, he says this, and it's going to scare you. Sell your possessions. Provide yourselves with money. See, If you, if you stop with that, then you're, you're missing the big picture, aren't you? Um. Before I go any further, Charity and I, one of the things that we've done, and, and just, I want to say as an example, it, it was not easy. One of the things that we've done in this last year that was not easy was recognizing that if we're going to be able to continue to serve God in, on this earth and work for His kingdom, we couldn't both be maintaining the, the level of work we were doing. So through prayer, one of the things that we did as a family, Charity and I, which felt, I'm going to be honest with you, it felt like, selling my stuff is what it felt like, um, was when Charity quit her job so that she could devote more time to biblical counseling here at the church and to helping the church and to ministering to me and to anybody else that's a part of this body. And she is nonstop busy doing those things. But it cost. She had a pretty decent salary. Um, that was a step of faith. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was liking that stuff. I was enjoying the, that extra big paycheck. I was liking it. Ooh, it was nice. If we wanted to go out to eat, we just did it. And Think about it. It was hard. I don't even think God's done with the stretching of that yet on me. I think every single one of us has some version of this, but don't miss the promise attached to this by Jesus. Provide yourselves, he said do this, but then he says what? Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. No thief approaches, no moth destroys. Lay up for yourselves treasures In heaven. Matthew's version says, where moth and rust do not corrupt where thieves do not break and still. Right? Lay up for yourselves there's there's some aspect of this that's laying up treasure in heaven. I picture this like a door. Give you a little my this isn't a Jesus illustration, this is a Matt illustration. So it may not be helpful. I picture this concept like a door. And I imagine myself on this side of the door in this life and thinking to myself, I mean, there's things that I mean I need while I'm here. Like a retirement. I don't need need it, but I kind of need it because eventually I'm going to stop being able to work and I'm going to need to have bread on the table for my wife. Right? need some stuff. I need to be able to drive to work. I need to keep working. There's things I need. I get these things. And there's things that I I mentioned last week. One of, the things, one of the things that I like to get, not in a measure of greed, but just because I think I might need it, I love collecting tools. If somebody offers me, hey, I got this extra tool. I don't need it. Do you want it? I go, yes, every time. I don't ever say no to tools. If you have a tool, I'm going to take. I may not even know what it does. But I might need it. Well, I'm here. Something might break, and I'll go, I've got one of those. Right? You never know what you're gonna need. This is why I can't get rid of nails. I get a box of nails, and I've got like five nails left in the box. I don't throw those extra nails away because I go, I might, one of these days, I'm gonna need a nail. Or a screw. You ever take a screw out of something and you don't throw it away? You put it in a little dish, and then you got like a thousand screws, and you're like, I don't even know what these went to. But you don't throw them away. Why don't you throw them away? Because you're like, I might need a screw that's exactly that size one day. I'm gonna need it. And then we hold on to it. Right? And I got, got this. And then and then I got a whole shed full of stuff. And I put more in it. And then when I get rid of some, I find more to put into it. And I'm stuff, I'm with stuff. and with the stuff, and it all feels very like I, I need it to someone. I know that God could, I could, God, you could take it all the way, but this part of me goes, I, I, I wanna hold on to it because I might need it. And so I picture this a little bit like a door and understand that what Jesus is saying, just let's just be honest, what Jesus is saying here. When you sell all and you give it away, alms is, being, is given to the poor. Not just your giving to the church, not just tithing, nothing like that, but actually going beyond that, giving to the poor of this, this world. When you're giving up your stuff to give to people that don't have stuff. Jesus says, you're laying up money bags. In this life. So, so ima- I imagine if I will, if there's something I go, I don't really want to get rid of this, but if I get rid of this, I could give this to this person. So start giving things to people. I imagine on the other side of that door, because this is what Jesus says, that as I'm doing this, I'm storing up things for on the other side. That's what he says. I can't take this stuff with me. When that door opens and I have to go through, is there anything that I'm holding on to that I can take with me? No. Naked I came from the room, naked I'll return. Right? You will take nothing with you. But Jesus keeps talking about this. And I go, I I, I don't know what these money bags in heaven look like. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know why I would need money bags. I'm going to have to buy stuff in heaven. I don't know. But Jesus promises treasure there. And it really comes down to faith at this point, doesn't it? Because if you really believed that, if you really believed that, if you like whole hog believed it, like, I'm going to die one day, and my life is short, and I believe that. So any day now, I could be going on the other side of the door. nothing I'd take. If you really believed that, and you just went all in, like, suddenly, you just, I believe it. What would you do with all your stuff? If you knew that everything that you laid aside to give to somebody else, to help somebody else, you knew every single thing that you threw off and gave to somebody else to bless somebody else, you just threw it all off. What And you believed that that was doing something on the other side. What would you do with all your stuff right now? Really? What would you do? Give it. You'd be like, take it. Lynn, I can't imagine the big money bag I got on the other side with this one. That one hurt. <laughs> Woo! Man, I needed that. I don't need it, though. There's something big on the other side waiting for you. If you believe that, it would alter your entire life, and suddenly Jesus' words to sell your possessions, give them all away, wouldn't sound crazy anymore, would it? It would suddenly sound like the most rational thing you could do. I I hope, I hope, Charity's not in here so I can say this. I hope, I hope that when I get to that door, I'm sorry, to, my kids aren't here either, so I'm sorry, guys. I, there's a part of me hopes that by the time I get to that door, I got nothing left. I want to start now. Just Why am I holding on to this stuff? I don't know when I'm getting to that door. I might be getting to that door tomorrow. So I hope if that's going to happen, that God's going to let me know a little bit in advance so I can get rid of some more stuff. I'm going to close with this Principle. There's a principle at play in all these things in dealing with worry and anxiety, but then starting to think eternally. Did you see how we shifted as we went through here? Jesus started off with just stopping the stuff, but now he's, now he's, he's like looking past into the beyond, isn't he? And it starts to shift the thinking. That's, 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 how, that's how we work against those anxieties, shifting that thinking into eternal things. But there's a principle at play here. And this is right at the very heart of you as you deal with your anxiety, you deal with your worry. You will not be free of it. I hate to break it to you. You might do every single one of these things every single day and wake up tomorrow with a feeling of anxiety again. But a true child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ will say, God, if you let me have that every day for the rest of my life, I will still choose you. I will fight it till the day I die. My question for you, God, is not to remove but help me simply be faithful because there's a principle. The treasure, what you treasure, what you value, reveals where your heart is at. And if the thought Let's take it all the way out here. Let's have Jesus say it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You look for your treasure. You're looking for your treasure. You find your treasure. There's my treasure. You look in the box. Guess what's going to be sitting there? Your heart. That's what Jesus says. The thing that you treasure shows you where your heart is. And if you are sitting there today and you're going, man, the thought of getting rid of my stuff, of not having anything, the thought of God taking it away from me is horrendous. The thought of not having my stuff is terrible. Then I'm telling you right now, your heart is in the wrong place. You ought to be ready and willing to say, Lord, if you want to take it all away, take it all away. In fact, I would recommend to you, if you're sitting here today and, but going, but Lord, I, I have my, my, my claws are in my stuff and I'm having a hard time just letting it go, I would recommend to you that you might start praying, Lord, take it. I'd rather you take it away and let me be with you one day than for me to have the world and lose my soul. So God, if so be, if I'm really, if my heart is here and treasuring this, then God, it scares me to death, but would you just take it away? Leave me destitute if need be. If that's what it takes for me to treasure you above all things, then do it. If this stuff is distracting me, if these things are distracting me, if I'm finding my security in this stuff and not in you, Lord, if that's the case, Lord, please eliminate it. Take it away burn it to the ground wipe me out if the end result is i have treasure in heaven and i value you above all things it went long we do have communion i would like to recommend i know i know it's long and i know you're sitting there going i had things i wanted to do sorry um i think you might because we live in this country you might need to do some reflecting On your stuff as opposed to God. And so I'm going to have Paul come up. He's going to lead us through communion. He's going to have a time in there where he wants you to reflect. As you do that, I would recommend taking these passages and maybe even getting your Bible out and looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34.